So it's Matthew 1, and we start at verse 18. When you open Matthew's Gospel, the first 17 verses are explaining Joseph's family line. So we refer to them as a genealogy. And that's important to remember. Okay? But we start at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. That far we read, and we praise God for these words of Scripture. Amen. Remember... End of 80s, beginning of 90s, I think, was when they first reared, shall we just say reared up instead of anything else, the wristbands that were WWJD. Remember those? They've been all over the place, and for that long, believe it or not. They were very much the thing to wear if you wanted everyone to know you were Christian. What did they say? What would Jesus do? Exactly. Today, though, we're going to flip those words around a bit and investigate something very, familiar or very similar. What would Joseph do? Now, understand this. is a single young man, we really don't know. Scripture gives us no clue anywhere as to how old Joseph was. But we can assume 20s, sort of, maybe late teens. And if that scares you with somebody that age getting married, Mary was probably 14 or 15. Okay? What's the legal age at a young... Well, how soon by law can a young lady get married in South Africa? Close your ears, parents. 14. Okay. Yes, you only have certain rights at 18 and you still traditionally 
reach your majority at 21. But South African marriage law is different. A 14-year-old can get married. Guys, you've got to be 16. For some reason, there's a difference in that age. So parents beware. Now the secret's out. Don't worry. Any marriage officer with a bit of discretion would check with the parents first. But just get your mind around that because here's a guy from the first century faced with an exceptionally modern dilemma. The girl that's promised to him, or to put in modern language, his fiance is pregnant. And he knows he had nothing to do with it. Because even back then they knew how these things work. He is not the father. What would you do in that kind of situation? It's a massive dilemma. Even now, 21st century, with all our so-called liberal standards of living, that's a difficult one to deal with. Verse 19 puts it quite gently that Joseph had plans to call the whole thing off, to release her. But did you notice there was a subtle shift in language as we were reading? It starts with promised to him. Then it speaks of divorcing Mary. That's a huge leap in language, in, in modern understanding. But remember, back then, if you were promised to somebody, that was more binding than what we understand to be a modern engagement. In fact, you might have been, and here's an even scarier thought, you might have been promised to somebody from birth. And you had no means of getting out of that. So now, what we miss looking at this text with our modern understanding, but what the first readers of Matthew would have clicked onto straight away, was that Mary could well have been accused of adultery. The people of Nazareth knew she was a single young lady. Now she's pregnant. What's going on here? Okay. The penalty for proven adultery, which, let's be fair, would have been quite easy as the pregnancy grew, was death by stoning. Now you're beginning to grasp the depth of Joseph's dilemma. Calling off the arrangement, however discreetly he did it, could have led to Mary being stoned to death. 
Joseph then being responsible for the death of Mary and the baby within her. Not a light decision, eh? Not a light decision at all. But God had a plan. God always has a plan. In South African understanding, and gentlemen, perhaps we understand this more than ladies do, when somebody takes you one side and says very closely to your ear in a low voice, now listen here, you know that the time for listening has just about expired. The word behold in the New Testament has exactly the same function. Whenever we read that word in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, behold, we are being told in no uncertain terms, pay attention here. Because what happens next is vital. God is about to act. So what does God do? Well, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, and what that angel says is critical. Joseph, son of David. Where else do we hear son of David? In direct reference to Jesus. Okay? Joseph, son of David, Later, Jesus walking the streets, we hear, Son of David, have mercy on me. And elsewhere. We need to understand that here, Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, is saying to Joseph, my boy, you better do this. You have to. It's reminding Joseph of his heritage and it's saying this is what God wants you to do. Joseph is then instructed to name the baby Jesus. Jesus, he saves derivative of Joshua. We can have endless fun with that one. But what I want us to take note of this morning is that the act of a father naming a child in that cultural setting was the father saying, this is my child. Okay? Beyond all doubt, this is my child. Not adopted, Regardless of biological fact, not stepson, but this is my child in that naming act. So what we have here is Joseph giving to Jesus all his paternal ancestry. 
Now you see why Jesus gets called Son of David. And why we can freely refer to Jesus as Joseph's son. Because in that act of naming, that relationship is sealed. Not only is it linking Jesus with that ancestry, it's also fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies. And a little aside for you to go and study on your own, Mary's ancestry also goes back to David. So just in case people came with this nonsense that Joseph wasn't really Jesus' dad, we can't deny that Mary was his mother. So God also works in insurance policies, you see. He had it worked from both angles. So what would Joseph do? We can say, oh, we know he took Mary, they went off down to Bethlehem, and Jesus was born there. But I want you to think a bit more than that, because taking Mary as his wife does not solve the whole problem. It really doesn't. Because people would soon notice that Mary was pregnant when she shouldn't have been. People know how these things work, eh? And hold on. They've just, 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 just got together. Now she's pregnant. Something's going on here. Eh? She was pregnant when she shouldn't have been. Meaning to their minds that Joseph, the promised one, must therefore be her accomplice in her immorality. So now they're both in trouble. You know those little side comments? Those little looking at her, she came into the marketplace and moving kind of off to one side because you didn't want to be associated with her. Joseph, having taken over, as was tradition, his father's business, would have found a few people saying, no, we actually don't need that order anymore. Just because they didn't want that association. they would have been shunned. And they would have been subject to that insidious, subtle, creepy judgment that religious people are so very good at. We wouldn't say out, hey, they're wrong. But boy, we had let them know they were wrong. In so many different ways. So, Joseph had a problem to deal with. And he introduces us to a very interesting faith principle. And if I were an angel, which I'm certainly not, 
I would say, behold. Sometimes doing the right thing is the wrong thing to do. If Joseph had chosen to do what was right in the eyes of the community, Mary would have been stoned to death. If Joseph had chosen to do what was right in the eyes of the community, it would very much have been the wrong thing. In the face of the shock, horror, and judgment of good religious people, Joseph chose to ignore what popular opinion said was the right thing to do. Because if he had separated from her, if they had parted ways, Mary would have been condemned, Joseph would have been patted on the back and said, you did the right thing, my boy. Such are the quirks of society and double gender standards. He chose to do the wrong thing by following through on his commitment to Mary in spite of her pregnancy, in spite of the gossip and the judgment, the pointed fingers, the slighted glances. And when the time was right, he named the baby Jesus, took ownership of that little life. What about us then? You've heard me say at least a dozen times, each one of us has a call on our lives from God. Whatever you might think of yourself, whatever you might think other people think of you, every single one of us has a call on our lives from the one who created us. So will your obedience to God be subject to popular opinion? Would people around you guide you as to what the right thing or the wrong thing to do is? Back in the dark ages when I was doing youth work, yes I did once upon a time, the common obstacle to teenagers coming to faith was what would my friends think? Eh? Similar now? What about us as adults though? We're not teenagers. Is our obedience to God still determined by that same question? What would our friends think? The village of Nazareth got it wrong in their opinion. Eh? The trouble with this one, guys, is that I cannot answer for you. Neither can the people to your left and right and front and behind you. Only you can answer from the integrity of your own faith relationship the depth of your obedience. It's easy to follow Jesus when everything's great. It's easy to be obedient to God when he asks us to do the stuff we're doing anyway. It's not so easy when he asks us to do the wrong thing in the eyes of the community. 
every one of us needs to consider carefully the depth and breadth of what Joseph did. And would we be prepared to do the same? A lot of the Christmas story looks at the magic miracle of Mary. And that's great and wonderful. It really is a precious part of the story. But forgive the phrase, Joseph had one hell of a decision to make. And if he had made the wrong one, the story would have ended right there. And the community would have told Joseph, you did the right thing, buddy. Understand the depth of Joseph's decision. An ordinary person chose to do the wrong thing. The guy working at the lathe next to you, a person you would probably meet down at the local, chose to do the wrong thing. And by doing that, Joseph, son of David, became dad to the son of God which was absolutely the right thing to do. So, WWYD, what would you do, given that situation? Through this week, Christmas is only eight days away. Eh? Only eight days away. As we prep our hearts and minds for that special day, please understand in your hearts and in your faith that just because God asked Joseph and Mary to make those vital decisions, he hasn't stopped asking people to make decisions like that. And listen, listen, because God is asking you to do something vital. Amen.